How many of you guys have been lied to? It's kind of a common experience, isn't it? And it hurts a lot. Uh, but I think what hurts more about being lied to is when you realize you've been living based on that lie. You actually bought it. You actually, you actually took it and you, you ran with it. And, it. and when you finally find the truth, there's this feeling that just overwhelms you. This is how in the world could I have ever believed that about whatever the circumstance is? And I was, I was thinking about that. And as I was preparing to come back, there was this thought that there are a lot of lies that, that honestly, unfortunately, many, many people believe and base their lives on that just aren't true. And sadly, there's pain and there's suffering and there's hurt that come out of those lies that, that unless we recognize them and deal with them, they, they actually lead to destruction in our, in our lives. And so what I want to do in these next few weeks is, is really, uh, we're starting a series called Liar, Liar. And I, and I, I put that out there and I can't tell me how many of, of people have already texted me and said, hey, you need to show a clip from Liar, Liar. That's a funny movie. I know it. I just couldn't find the clip that worked for this, okay? But there, there is one who, who is active and there is one who is against us, who is the ultimate liar. And that is the enemy of our soul, Satan. And yet in his lies, he has caused the church of Jesus Christ, he's called many believers, to believe some things that just flat aren't true. And what I want to do over these next few weeks is kind of expose some of these lies, bring us back into the truth, and let God work in our spirits. In fact, we're going to talk about a lot of things. There, one of the things we're going to talk about is the lie that pain should be avoided at all costs. That, that's, that's a lie that a lot of people try to build by because they say, if I'm in pain, then I must not be in the midst of God's will. How many know that's not necessarily true? Read your Bible sometimes. You'll realize it's definitely not true for those that always follow God. Uh, one of the things we're going to talk about is uh, the lie that some things can't be forgiven. I've dealt with that a lot as a pastor. Pastor, I, I just can't be forgiven. Some things just can't be forgiven. No. I, I do believe the Word of God tells us that by the blood of Jesus that there's one thing that can't be forgiven. We'll talk about that, but, but believe me, all things can be forgiven through Christ. Here's another one, and I, I see this one a lot. All things happen for a reason. That, that's something that we, we hear a lot and we base our lives and we get a wrong image of God because of how we extrapolate that lie out. So we're going to take some time with that. But today, I want to talk about the number one lie that the enemy of our souls brings against us that so often, unfortunately, we buy into. And that is the lie that God can't be trusted with everything. That God can't be trusted with everything. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says this. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, if you take that verse and you just begin to break it out and look at the, the, the wording and what is being said here in this context, it basically means that if it is impossible to please God without faith, then why would our enemy not strategize and try to keep us from having faith in our God, to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. In fact, the enemy's strategy is to convince us that God can't be trusted in any area of life, but especially in the areas we are struggling with the most. Well, you can't trust God in that. I mean, he would have already healed you by now. You can't trust God. Your marriage would already be whole by now. Well, you can't trust God. Your, your kid would be serving Jesus by now. And he begins to erode our faith to keep us away from the very things that are the foundation of what we believe. You know, we have a lot of, a lot of wrong pictures of the enemy of our souls, of Satan. 
fact, uh, we have a lot of cartoon caricatures of the, the little red devil with the horns and the pitchfork and the tail and all that kind of craziness. And, uh, and yet the Word of God says that He comes to us with the appearance of wisdom. He comes to us with the appearance of righteousness. He comes to us, in fact, the Word describes Him as an angel of light. And this morning what I want to do is I want to expose how he comes, and I want to expose this lie that so many, unfortunately, have let creep into their lives, and now their faith has been eroded. And I want to do it through two stories. There's two stories that are, one's in the very beginning of the Word of God, and, and one's, one's in, the, in the very beginning of the New Testament. So go to Genesis. We're going to start with the first one. And there are two stories that are very, very different because of their setting, but yet in both those stories, you're going to see how, how the enemy of your soul begins to work against the very foundations of the things you believe. And in Genesis chapter 3, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 13. It's a, it's a picture of the Garden of Eden. It's the picture of perfection. Life at its best. There's, there's no sin nature. There, there's no brokenness. There's no sickness. There, there's no cancer. There's no, all the things we deal with today, they, they didn't exist. It was, it was the idyllic setting. But there we read the very beginning of this, of this temptation to not put our trust in God. So pick it up in verse 1. It says, now... The serpent, we were referring to Satan here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, now let's just get uh, context here. If you were to go back in chapter 2, God did say to Adam that they could eat of any of the trees of the garden, but there was one tree in the middle, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they were not supposed to eat. So, so here you see Satan bringing some truth into this, all right? And, and, and then now the woman replies, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. She's correct, but then she does what we do so often. She, she added, she says, and you must not touch it or you will die. God never said to them, you can't touch the tree. Here we have the first legalist in the word of God right there. Eve began right there. You, you know what a legalist is, right? They're the ones that want to help God out. It's like if we can put other fences up or we can add other uh, things that are around the Word of God, we're going to help you out be a little more holy because, after all, we know better than God. So here she is trying to add to this. But the enemy replies back. The serpent said to her, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, what he's already purporting is, and listen, God's holding out on you. God's holding out on you. He doesn't really look out for your best. And I, I've never, anyone show me this, but I believe in that moment I can see the, the, the serpent reach up and take a bite out of the apple and munch, munch, munch. Hey, see, I ate it. I didn't die. And then you go forward into the story. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And the eyes of them were both open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. We just kind of stop right there in the story. When, when the enemy said, and what he said to Eve was, was a lie, and it was deceptive. But it was really a half-truth. He, he was taking what was true, but he was shading it a little bit. God, God didn't say, you, you can't eat of that. He said, you're not going to die. I mean, here, munch, munch, munch. I'm going to show you you're not going to die right now. God didn't say that. But here's what they, they didn't understand is that he had already died spiritually. 
He didn't die physically in that moment, but he'd already died spiritually. He'd already been kicked out of heaven, and, and that, that brokenness was now in his being. And Adam and Eve, in that moment when they ate of the fruit, they didn't die physically, though ultimately they would. But in that moment, the word God says they died spiritually. And that's why we walk in what we walk in today, in the brokenness. And then he was saying to them is, look, don't you know that when you eat this fruit, you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. He was, God's, God's holding out on you. And here's the reality. God acknowledges that fact down in verse 22. He says, we got we to get them out of here. Because if they eat of the other tree, the, 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 they have eternal life. He says, then they, they will know the good and evil, but they'll live in it their whole days. You see, guys, it's one thing to know the, the knowledge of good and evil from a conceptual standpoint, which was God. But now they knew it by experience. Now they had been brought to that place where now they were being trapped by the knowledge of good and evil. So the man, verse 8, and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. Look how they responded as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. <laughs> they, they now, they've eaten of the, of the fruit. They now they believe they have wisdom. What wisdom is this? I'm going to hide from God. How many know that's pretty stupid? I mean, there's no wisdom in that at all. And God kind of plays along with this whole hide-and-seek thing, you know. He says, the Lord called out to them, where are you? Do you not think God knew where they were? He knows everything, right? So this wisdom they're operating in is already flawed. And, and, and they answered, I, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he, God, said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat from? God already knew this. And the man said, the woman, blame. There we go, guys, right there. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And guys have been blaming other people all of our days, right? And then the Lord God said to the woman, well, what is this you've done? Well, she did the same thing. She said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And from that moment in the story, the curse that you and I live under now was spelled out, and the consequences began to flow into their lives. Why? Because they bought the half-truths that Satan was trying to capture them in. He gave them evidence in their minds that God should not be trusted, and because of that, they, they took matters into their own hands. And sadly, the opposite of what they thought would happen, happened. And you and I are caught up in the backwash of that, and we will be until the day Jesus returns. For now, in the moment they, that their eyes were open, the knowledge of good and evil, now there was shame in their nakedness. Their, their wisdom made them hide from God. They began blaming each other and not taking responsibility for any action of their own. Kind of sounds like today. And they, they destroyed their own relationship, but they also destroyed their relationship with God and with one another. There's a second story. This one involves Jesus. It's found in Matthew's gospel. In fact, if you turn to Matthew, you'll, you'll find this in Matthew chapter 4. And it is an entirely different setting as, as far as in the garden. It was perfect. There was no sin nature. There was, there, everything, was right, everything was right until they, they bought the lie. And here we see Jesus in a very difficult situation. He was being led into the wilderness by by the Holy Spirit, it was God's plan. But unlike the garden, everything was not perfect. It was, in fact, everything was stacked against him in this moment. And I, I need to clarify something before we enter into the story because sometimes people have the wrong image of who Jesus was on this earth. Can I tell you that Jesus was not God in a bod? Okay, he, he was not like Clark Kent Superman, like here's God in, in, in disguise and, and he's totally God and, and nothing can touch him. No, he came and he laid down his glory in heaven. And he came to earth as a man, and, and listen, and he was led by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit in everything 
he did. So he wasn't just God in all of his glory, all of his power. No, he had, he had surrendered that to come and be tempted as a man so that he could be that sacrifice for us. He was the second Adam. He was not going to fail the test. Adam failed because he was the only one who could become the sacrifice that you and I could be forgiven of our sins today. So get the right image of Jesus into this place of the wilderness. So here we go. Jesus was baptized. He's starting his public ministry, and the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit of the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was what? How many of you'd be hungry after 40 days and 40 nights? Some of us can't fast a day without feeling like we're dying, right? But he was hungry. He was, it's just natural because he was a man. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. Now, now picture this again. Here's Jesus. Everything he's doing is to honor the father. I do what the father says. The Holy Spirit leads me. Here he's hungry, he has a need, but the Holy Spirit has not shown him yet what to do. And Satan comes along and tells him, I'll tell you what to do, tell these stones to become bread. And what he was saying is he tempted him to take matters into his own hands because somehow God had abandoned him. Just, just go ahead and take matters in your own hand because God has not come through for you yet. Just go ahead and do what you think is right because after all, God can't be trusted. And so this very first temptation was right into that, and Jesus answered him in the only way he could. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hear what Jesus was saying in this moment. He was saying, Satan, I would rather starve to death than disobey my father. Satan, I'd rather starve to death than to take matters in my own hands and not trust God in this moment. Well, how many know Satan doesn't give up? once after you rebuke him he comes back another time and he did to jesus the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple if you're the son of god he said throw yourself down for it is written he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone now again he is distorting scripture that's why it's so important that we know the word of god in fact, it's predicted by the prophets that in the last days which you and I live in, the greatest struggle is going to be what's called the deception of the saints. In other words, uh, causing the church, the followers of Christ, to, to not see truth anymore but live by the lie. And Jesus rebukes him, and he says, no, no, no. You do not force God's hand. You do not make God show up. In fact, you cannot make God show up. And he rebukes him with the truth, and he says, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He says, I will, I will never try to manipulate my father. Can I tell you, church, sometimes we're in that place where we try to manipulate God. Well, God, if you really love me, you would come through right now. Gee, I think when he said, I love you with an eternal love, that's like eternal. It, it, it doesn't change, right? But we treat God like we treat others, and we try to manipulate him to do something, which the word of God says is already in his will, but maybe it's not in our timing. So God put him back in his place, and again, Satan came at him. Verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And this I will give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Now, very clearly, theologically, that was Satan's right to give. When they, when they, when they blew it in the garden... We lost the, the lordship, stewardship over the earth, and now Satan was able to, to offer this. And, and what was happening here was is he was trying to tempt Jesus to take a shortcut. Look, you, you don't need to go to the cross. 
you don't have to wait for your day to be glorified. If you just bow down to me, all, oh, everybody will worship you. If you'll just follow my path, then everybody, you don't need to worry about God's timing. And who wants to suffer anyway? Just cut to the chase, Jesus. All you got to do is bow down. I'll give this all to you. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. So two stories, very different in their settings. But yet in them, we see how the enemy, how Satan wants to bring his lies toward our, to, toward our lives and wants to, help, uh, wants to lead us astray and lead us to the place where now we're not living in the truth that God has given us, the truth that sets man free. So what I want to do this morning in setting the stage for the rest of these weeks is really take a moment and just get to know his path, get to know our enemy, get to know how it comes. Because sometimes we are just blinded by it and sometimes we don't see it. And I think it's important, I think it's critical. So in your notes today, I want you to to see this. We want to know our enemy. And and the first thing to know about him is that his nature is to lie. And he's really, really good at it. He, in fact, he he is the father of all lies. He is is a liar by nature. And even Jesus pointed this out to those around him. One day he was talking to the religious leaders, and, and, and they were all messed up in their legalism. They totally missed the fact he was the Messiah. And in trying to, to open their eyes and correct them, he rebuked them with this in John 8, 44. He's speaking to the leaders. He said, look, you Pharisees, you Sadducees, you ruling elders, you belong to, the fa- to your father, the devil. <laughs> How many know you don't want Jesus telling you that right now? Hey, your father's the devil. You may think he's the devil. He's really the devil. Your, your father is the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of all lies. If we could visually see him, if his lips are moving, he's lying. It's just that simple. It just comes out of him because he is out to deceive the elect. Why? Because Satan came to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. And he he may not destroy this, but if he destroys my faith, then my life's lost. You see... At the enemy's core is deception. At the enemy's core is a lie. I, I've dealt with some things in my, in, in over the years where there's actually been satanic oppression and even possession. I, I've been in some of those scenarios. And, and even the, the words that are spoken out by the person who is bound to that is things like, you, you can't live. I, I control you. You're, you're finished. All lies. Because how many know that the blood of Jesus can break any power? Amen. And there is nothing that binds you that Christ has not already set you free from. But Satan's good at it. In fact, he's so good that according to Scripture, he convinced one-third of all the angels to rebel against God with him. Now think about this. One-third of all the angels who'd been in God's presence, had seen his glory, had experienced his love, and yet somehow, here's Satan like, uh, hey, there's going to be a meeting in room 304 at 4 o'clock, and one-third of them showed up, and he showed them the lie. And they believed him, that he was going to be God. And they followed him, and they were cast out of heaven, and they were, their whole purpose was destroyed. And that's why in Matthew 25, 41, the Bible says that hell was prepared for Satan and his angels. It wasn't prepared for sinners. There's consequences to us, but it was prepared for Satan and his angels. Why? Because he deceived them. How does he do it? You know, Satan doesn't just show up at your house, knock on the door, and say, I'm here to lie to you. I'm here to destroy your life. 
I'm here to ruin your marriage. I'm here to, to break up everything. In fact, he doesn't show up as some hideous creature even. The word says he appears as this angel of light, this, this beautiful being that seemingly is speaking righteousness. And here's the thing. He doesn't care what your situation is. He doesn't care if you are dressed up or messed up. He, he wants to destroy your faith in God. He, he doesn't care. He doesn't care if you, want, if you want nothing to do with God or if you're a self-righteous hypocrite. He wants to destroy any thought that you might trust God with your life. 2 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there to be on the screen. It, it gives us this image that makes sense now when you understand this. In 2 Corinthians 11, 14-15, no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. That's why you can meet people that are just so adamantly opposed to God. But you look and you say, well, they, they're, they're, they seem like good moral people. They seem to do, you know, they don't kick their dog and you know, beat their kids. But they come with this righteousness, but yet it's not founded in the righteous one. They come with this morality, but yet they're, they're not here to point to Christ. Everything points back to, look at me and how good I am. So his favorite thing is, is this the half-truth. He, he is a liar. That's his nature, and he's good at it. But the second thing is his favorite weapon is the half-truth. It's not a whole bold-faced lie. It's just a half-truth. There's always a little truth in there. Genesis, you won't die, munch, munch. See, I'm not dying. But it didn't explain you're going to die spiritually. You're now going to be separated from God, this garden that you find yourself in. You're going to be kicked out of it. And now guess what? You're going to experience pain. You're going to experience suffering, you're in turmoil, you're going to have to work hard, life's going to be difficult. But oh, you're not going to die, much, much. He always brings that half-truth to Jesus. If you give me these kingdoms, if you, if you bet, I'll give you the kingdoms. Forget the cross. You don't need to talk about the cross. Let's take the shortcut. I know I don't look like it now, but growing up, as many of you did, played sports, and I, I had the privilege of being in Texas, and Texas, that meant you played football, because that's what Texans did, and, and I had the privilege of being a linebacker, which is kind of my nature, and that you know, makes, makes sense now, um, and, and, and one of the things I hated above all else in, in being a linebacker is what is called a trap play. Anybody, real quick, so I have a little bit in the audience, anybody know what a trap play is? I know Chad played linebacker, too, you understand this. Here's what a trap play is. It's when all of a sudden the very goal of your life is standing right in front of you. It's like the, the, the Red Sea parts in the middle of the, of the line and the quarterback is standing right there. And you're thinking, I am going to be on ESPN tonight. Because I'm going to nail this joker and he is going to hurt badly. And, and, and even though you've been coached to say when that happens, you might want to look around you because something else may be happening. All you can think of is I've seen my goal, there's a shortcut, and I'm going to go get it. But what you don't understand is there's a 250-pound guard on this side over here that's coming this way that you have no knowledge in that moment that's going to clean your clock. And right when you take off and you're like, oh, they're going to pray, they're going to put me on their shoulders because I got the quarterback, right that first step, all of a sudden someone hits you right in the ear hole and you're our lights out. Can I tell you, that's what the half-truth does. You see it and you say, I want that. That is my goal. I want to be married. That is my goal. I want to be financially secure. That is my goal. I don't want to be alone. But yet you've been told, here's the way we get to these things. Here's the way God honors it. Here's the way God blesses it. 
But something inside of you, even though you've heard the truth, this half-truth has been sown into you to the point that now you're saying, I'm going to just go for it on my own strength. I'm going to go for it on my own might. And I, I'm going to go with it all I have. And the problem is the moment we do that, boom, the lie hits. And everything gets undercut. And we end up in wrong relationships. We end up letting down our, our, our true understanding of who God is. We compromise. Why? Because we bought into the half-truth, and now that, that truth's consequences come on to our lives. So he's a liar. He's good at it. His favorite weapon is a half-truth. And his favorite lie is what we're talking today. It is that God can't be what? Trusted. He can't do it. And really what he attacks us is in two areas. And, and, and you'll notice this in your own life, and you'll just take a moment to recognize this, because he forms it in these two ways. He forms it in this thought here, don't, don't wait anymore. God's not coming through for you. Because after all, we are impatient people, aren't we? God's not coming through for you. You don't need to wait for him anymore. He's, he's just not going to do it. Or the second form that it takes is, well, you know, God's holding back from you, and you really don't want to miss out. God's holding back from you, and you really don't want to miss out. And what he's doing is he's challenging God's goodness and he's challenging God's timetable. I mean, in, 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 in our humanity, it's, it's, it's justifiable almost. We've read the promises of God. We've heard what he has said. We keep doing the right thing over and over and over again, and yet we're not seeing the promise fulfilled totally in our lives in this moment, and we get tired. And we say, well, maybe it won't hurt if I just help God out a little bit. Maybe it won't hurt if I'll just take things into my own hands. Example, I want to get married. I, I, I want to I, I have a partner. I want to have somebody in my life, and, and yet nobody seems to be coming along, God, and I keep going to churches and going to single groups and everything else. It's just not happening. And So, God, I, I just may need to lower my standards a little bit because I just don't like being alone. That sounds logical. Until not being alone means you're with the wrong person that destroys your life. Because now you're outside of God's plan. Can I tell you, the Bible's full of examples, isn't it? The Bible's full of examples of people who have done that very thing. Moses, great example. Moses is known as this great liberator, this, this one that delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. And if you know the story at all, and I'll give you the little quick condensed version, God put him in a place to be used mildly to show the glory of God by delivering the children of Israel from Egypt. And yet when God called him to do it, Moses got impatient. And one day he saw an Egyptian abusing a slave, one of his fellow Israelites, and he took matters into his own hand and he murdered the Egyptian and he buried him in the desert. And because of that, the Bible says Moses was then out into the wilderness for 40 years tending sheep before God could ever bring him back in to be a deliverer. I've had people take that and say, you see, God has to put you out in the wilderness to prepare you to do what God wants you to do. No, not in that instance. God wanted to be the deliverer right then. Can I tell you, the 40 years he spent out in the desert in the wilderness tending people's sheep was not about preparation. It was a consequence of his sin of saying, God, I don't trust your timing. I'm going to do what I want to do. And get this, not only did it cost him 40 years, but who else did it cost 40 years? The servants, the slaves, they were under bondage for 40 more years. Why? Because he bought the half-truth. God, you called me, but I'm impatient. I'm going to do it on my own. Abraham. Oh, I love Abraham. Don't you love him? Except for one thing. 
Abraham, you're going to have a child. You and Sarah, you think you're old, but I'm going to give you a baby. God bless them. They've waited. They tried. It didn't happen. So, so they come up with this great genius plan. Why don't you take my handmaiden? She's younger. Have a baby with her. We'll claim it as our own. And sure enough, they have Ishmael. Praise God, we got a boy. Only later for God to open Sarah's womb, and now they have the son of promise. And can I tell you, all you got to do is watch the world's politics today. We are still getting eaten up because of that decision. The Arab-Israeli conflict, it goes right back to Ishmael and Isaac. That's why the Middle East is what the Middle East is. Why? Because he got impatient. He said, must God, must his time, he must have forgot his promise. And then when we do that, we pay a high price. Eve, you're missing out on being like God. Just eat the apple, not the apple, the fruit and get it over with, all right? We couch that in today's term. Only a fool keeps their commitments. You didn't know what you're getting into. Come on. It, no, one, no one lives their word. Just get a good lawyer and get out of it. Only an idiot pays all their taxes. I mean, come on, how are you ever going to get ahead if you keep doing things that way? You go to a party. What do you mean you're not getting drunk? We've got a designated driver sitting around. There's no harm here, no foul. You want to die a virgin? Come on, what is wrong with you? We hear it in our own terms, in our own circumstances. And all these lies are about missing out. They're about God not caring for you, about God not providing the right ways for you. And so what we do is we break God's rules because others seem to be breaking them without impunity. And Satan says, see, they get away with it. And he takes God's promises and God's covenants, and he tries to convince us that they're just urban myths, urban legends. They're just myths. One of the lies we're going to deal with in, our, in this series going forward is the lie that God has gotten more tolerant than his old age. We're going to talk about that because a lot of the church believes that now. But can I tell you, God's laws are not arbitrary and they're always for our good. But Satan always says, no, he's holding back on you. He's stifling your life. He's making you wait for things that you shouldn't wait for. After all, grab life, let's go. But can I tell you, there's always consequences for ignoring God's laws even if the consequences are delayed. And the sad thing is the consequences don't always just affect you, they also catch up others around you in the backwash of your own disobedience. And it comes by behind the lie. It comes by, by just settling in and saying, I, I, I believe this half-truth, I'm going for it. Why? Because Satan is a liar. He's good at it. He gets in the half-truth. And then the last thing I want to say about him, because this is the last time we're going to talk a lot about him, is that he, he is powerful, but his power is limited. He is powerful, but his power is limited. And it's very important that we seal this right now in this teaching because, can I tell you, Satan is not God. Amen? He's not the Holy Spirit. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He does not know your thoughts. Believe me, we tell him enough of it all the time. He's not everywhere at once. He cannot make anyone sin. That comes out of a choice and of a desire that, that matches opportunity. He cannot read your mind. He's not the Holy Spirit. But I tell you what he does do. He shouts at us through culture. And he shouts at us through the sin nature. And that's why the word of God says when we know the truth, then the truth will set us free. Because when those shouts come, when they're brought in against the truth we know, we deflect them just like Christ does. It is written. <laughs> You're just wrong. I'm not going that way. 
And it's so important for us to understand he is powerful, but his power is limited. In fact, the word of God says that they didn't mock Satan. They don't take him lightly, but they don't fear him either. And 1 John 4, 4 says, dear children, you are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Listen this morning, no matter what your background, no matter what your family structure was, your heredity or whatever else, no matter what you think about how messed up you are, can I tell you something? He does not have a foothold in your life unless you start believing the lie. You're not bound by some curse. Jesus broke the curse of sin when he died on the cross and rose from the grave on the third day. And we put our faith in him. We live in that freedom and bondage is not part of our lives. But I'm telling you this morning, there are some that just because your family was messed up, you just expect to be messed up. That's a lie from Satan. Well, my dad was an alcoholic. He was a mean old guy. I guess that's what I'm going to be. Wrong. Jesus came to make all things new. But Satan wants to hold you back by tying you to your past. Growing up in church, I used to hear it a lot all the time. It's under the blood. I just thought it was one of those cliches. It's under the blood. I'm like, that just sounds gross. What is it? Under the blood. That means anything you have submitted to God through Christ, he is taken care of. And it is covered. But you know what it also is? It is forgotten. Because the Bible says he takes our sins and he casts them from the east as far as the east is from the west. So when those sins are being brought up and look what you've done and look at your dad did and all that, that is not God speaking to you. That is Satan. Why? Because he wants you to buy the lie because he wants you not to believe that God is able and that you can't trust. In fact, there's two things. Wrap it up right here. That he just wants us not to believe. And it's found in Hebrews 11, the scripture we read from the very beginning today. And it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Guys, I said it before. Satan doesn't care if you're an atheist, universalist, whatever ish you can think of. He does not care. He just does not want you to be a Christian and believe that God exists. Because believing God exists is not a matter of saying, I believe in God. Believing God exists says, I have faith to believe that he is, he is who he says he is, and he's done what he said he has done. In other words, when I say I believe that God exists, I'm saying that my God is the one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and because of that, I have faith in him, and now I'm made right in his eyes. And I walk in his righteousness and his favor. Because not only does he exist, he does not want us to believe that God rewards. Guys, that's the core of our faith, isn't it? Even if God's timetable does not line up with our own, can I tell you, you just got to hang in there. Because ultimately, ultimately, all God's promises come true. It may not be till glory, till we see some, but can I tell you, they will come true. But you know what's even greater than that? And here's where I want to wrap up this morning. When we read that in our, own, in our own cultural setting, in our own ways, we say, yes, God exists, and he rewards me when I believe in him. And we believe those rewards are more now. They're more all about my life. They're all about my ease. They're all about my ability to live without pain or any kind of suffering and all those things. Can I tell you, there's one reward that God has already given you today that supersedes any other reward you'll ever receive again. And that is the moment, 
the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the moment you confess Jesus Christ is Lord, in that moment there was a reward given. Maybe it wasn't like a chain around your neck, but it was a reward given that says, in that moment God says you have been made right. You've been restored to wholeness. Judgment does not await you. You are Sometimes we forget that's the greatest reward. And Satan does a good job of lying all around that to say, but see, God's not taking care of you because you're having to deal with sickness right now. See, God is not taking care of you because you're going through financial stress right now. Guys, there is no higher reward than to know you're right with God. There is no fear of judgment in your life, and someday there will be eternity, but that's not the whole reason God saved you. You are now part of the restoration when you come to know Christ as your Savior. Because He is going to make all things new. There's going to come a day where there's a new heavens and a new earth. We're going to have new bodies. We're going to be not plagued by the things of the sinful world. But in the meantime, we are part of that restoration. But if we live based on the lives of Satan, can I tell you, we'll do nothing to make any impact at all because all we're going to be doing is fighting the whole time of do we trust God or not here to tell you today you can trust him.